attention. Now arriving at your destination. The last house on the block. Welcome back to Recovery Uncovered, episode nine. Uh, thanks everybody tuning in on live. We're uh, we're back after a a couple months off. Had some some life things going on and a little Christmas vacation, but we're back in action in full swing. Got a a very special guest today, Mr. Will May, uh, who I actually have grown up with since I don't know what we were twelve years old when we started middle school together. We're like ten, I believe. Fifth yeah. grade. Yeah, that's right, because it was fifth grade was middle school back then. Uh, and so, you know, Will and I went to middle school together. He moved off back from Tennessee down to Mississippi. And uh, when I moved down here a couple years ago, we got to reconnect, uh, both sober at that point, which was a pretty cool turn of events to uh, be able to move to a whole new city and, and already have a built-in friend. Um, but we're going to go into Will's recovery story today. You know, we're going to talk a little bit about what it was like for him when he first started drinking and using uh, you know, the events that led up into to going to treatment, getting into recovery, and then what is life's like now. Um, so with that being said, Will, if you want to kind of start us off and just uh, let us know, you know, like maybe what, what was that first drink like? What was that first use? And uh, we'll just kind of go from there. Awesome. Yeah. Um, well, I had my first drink of alcohol when I was uh, 10 years old. Excuse me, I was 11. I was 11. Okay. It was in Jackson, Tennessee, where we grew up together. Um, I can remember, uh, we were in, uh, someone's basement and I had, uh, they were passing around some red wine Ooh. and they had a, uh, I was a sixth grade and they were all eighth graders hanging out with the older kids. Exactly. And leading up to this point, I'd always kind of been, you know, I was overweight and I had trouble making friends and uh, stuff like that. And so when I found the alcohol, I took that first drink, I felt comfortable yeah, I'd, a comfort I'd never known. I didn't know it was that. available, and that was my very first drink. And I remember, like, we ran out of that red wine bottle, and I wanted more. Mm. You know, from the very beginning. Very beginning. Yeah, that was my experience as well. That first drink, it was like finally getting that, <clears throat> just that deep sigh of relief of like, I didn't know that I was missing this, but damn it, I was. Um, so what? Uh, what was kind of that? progression for you so you had that you know that first drink at 11 or whatever was it all right I'm all in I want to do this as often as I can was it every weekend kind of walk me through what it looked like leading up to you know when it got bad yeah so uh it's hard for me to uh, talk about the alcohol without talking about the cigarettes right because yeah that was kind of my first vice also okay Um, so you know uh, before that I'd been experimenting with my mom's cigarettes and that was kind of me changing the way I felt you know what I mean? Um, and, like, and being bad with, like, substances, mm-hmm. with drug. You know, nicotine's a drug. So, like, that was my first, real first introduction. Was that before your first drink? Yeah. Uh, that was, like, a year before, maybe, I'd, I'd start stealing her cigarettes. So was uh, that, every like now and then. stealing one from the pack, or were you smoking the butts that she left? Uh, no, I was just, she'd left, she had packs all over the house. I was just kind of, I started to nickel and dime her a little bit, you know yeah. what I mean? Not enough where she noticed. Right, yeah. She didn't, yeah. I never, yeah. I never got close to getting called, I don't think. Then eventually she just kind of let me, so. Yeah. That was cool. I don't think I first first smoked a cigarette until I was like 16. I was working at a a Moe's Southwest Grill, and uh, actually this dude named Jamal, he was my GM at the time, and we had a long shift, crazy dinner rush, and we're all sitting out on the patio afterwards, and he's like, you want a Newport? And uh, so a Newport 100, that was the first square I ever smoked. That's what we called them back then. Yeah. Let me bum a square. That's right. Or a Bogue. Yeah. <laughs> Had all the uh, the code names for them. Um, but that, that was really like the first thing that I ever did that changed the way I felt too. Um, I don't remember really liking it at first, but it wasn't long after that that somebody gave me a pinch of Grizzly Wintergreen mm-hmm. and uh, I was hooked. Uh-huh. Um, so... Cigarettes at like ten or so, uh-huh. alcohol at eleven. Um, what what did that look like when you started to drink more regularly? Was that quickly after that first drink or no? Uh, it certainly wasn't quickly because it's you know it was it's hard for hard for eleven year old to get your hands <laughs> on some alcohol. Yeah, but uh, I definitely um, you know I had a, a, a new place to uh, point my attention towards, like. Uh, I can't remember exactly maybe like what I was thinking about it or how that looked like exactly, but I can remember getting my hands on it a few times. Um, 
you know, leading up to that point and just loving it and like really, I mean, it was my, an answered prayer. It yeah. felt like, you know, and, um, had so much fun and, uh, anytime I, and then eventually like, I remember like, I had an older sister and so I could kind of like get stuff from her friends sometimes. And so I'd get my hands on some alcohol and, uh, whenever I could, it wasn't until, uh, about ninth grade that I could like get it pretty regularly. Yeah. And that's when it became like a, you know, twice a week type of situation, I guess. Okay. So it's kind of like, you know, whenever you could, and then a couple, three, four years later, it started to progress to like actual regular drinking. Um, tell me about what, like, you know, the, the other things that you were doing during that time period, like, I don't know, the the story that comes to mind is, like, I remember you telling me about taking your mom's car and, like, driving around trying to impress some chicks or something. So, like, <laughs> there wasn't just, like, straight and narrow in between the drinking. What uh, what else, you know, kind of were you getting into around that age? Yeah, I mean, any kind of trouble I could get into, I feel like I was, uh, you know, I feel like uh, I remember stealing my mom's car <laughs> We uh for a little joy ride and, you know, there was always like shooting fireworks off at people or there's always uh you know, a paintball gun involved somewhere yep. or maybe a little vandalism here and there, like something like that. I tried marijuana when I for the first time when I was uh in eighth grade. This is still when we were in Jackson, Tennessee, uh, on a picnic table at a neighborhood pool, rolled up in a brown paper sack, if I remember correctly. Ooh. Yeah, like a like a lunch bag, you know. That's and, rough. Uh, yeah, I think we got like maybe one puff out of the whole thing. It was like <laughs> It's not an impressive performance by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. And, um, you know, but, like, for me, my uh, at home, though, um, you know, I can remember, like, there was a few times where when I was getting my hands on alcohol and, like, I would get, like, I remember one time I threw up everywhere. And, like, I remember, like, just, like, kind of living, my room was really gross kind of thing. Like, I had, like, a, I was, I was dipping a lot at the time. So, like, I was just, like any kind of rule I could break or like thing I could do that was reserved for older people. Like that's what I wanted to be doing. Yeah. You know what I mean? I didn't want to be 13. I wanted to be 21. I relate to that. I remember like being a kid and you know, I wasn't doing any of that stuff at the the same time period that you were. I didn't have my, I had like one drink at 16 and like three drinks at prom, but like I never got drunk until I went to school um, and smoking weed and other stuff followed shortly after that. But I remember that feeling of like, man, I just want to be able to like do what I want to do. I don't want to follow these stupid rules, like, which is as a 30 year old thinking about myself at like 12 or 13, thinking like, oh, I'm ready to be grown. <laughs> no, I wasn't like I didn't I didn't know up from down. Uh, but at that point in time, like when you believe that you're like, man, I, I just can't wait till I get older. I can't wait till I get my car. I can't wait till I have my freedom, which I mean, some of that, I think every kid experiences. Um, but a lot of it for me was like, my parents were strict and I didn't like those rules and I didn't like, uh, I didn't like a lot of that. So, you know, I wanted, I wanted to be able to just do what I want to do. Cause I'm old enough to make that decision when you were, uh, you were talking about shooting the paintball gun. You made me uh, <laughs> made me think about this time. We were uh, there's a bunch of my friends over at uh, one of our other friends' grandma's house mm -hmm. out in uh, Medina, and I don't know if you remember. I think it's a or no, it's three way where that that BP station is. As you're going into three way on the left. Oh yeah, so Hunt's my brother pizza. <laughs> yeah, my buddy's grandma's house was like directly across Highway 45 there, and we were shooting a BB gun, having fun drinking, smoking weed. Um, I was probably like 19 or 20. And one of my friends took the BB gun and just like popped a shot off across 45 towards the gas station. And it hit somebody's back glass on their, I don't even know what kind of car it was, but it shattered it. And we scattered. Just yeah. all ran inside. We're like in hiding, thinking that the FBI is going to come after us or something. Like that person has no idea what happened to their window. They just saw it shatter. But... You know, I probably still owe an amend somewhere out there to that. I don't have any idea how I'd ever make that one, but uh, it just brought that that story to mind of, like, just the stupid shit that I would run around doing, sometimes, like, just because I wanted to break the rules. But a lot of time for me it was I wanted to be cool. Like, you know, we, we kind of had the, the similar story of, like, 
I was a big old boy in middle school and didn't have a whole lot of friends. And, you know, I ended up losing some of that weight through high school and stuff. But I, I still, like, I always had that same level of insecurity. They're like, I'm not good enough. People look at me differently. If I can make other people think I'm cool, then maybe I'll finally believe I'm cool. And I don't think that was ever even a conscious thought until sobriety, like realizing what the motivation was behind that. But thinking back, I did so many things like, man, I got to have a American Eagle or Abercrombie, or then it was Ralph Lauren or whatever stupid brand. Uh, so that you would think like, oh man, Adam's got a Ralph Lauren on. What's, who cares? But like that, that's the places that my head went with it. Uh, but anyways, like, so started drinking with some regularity in ninth grade, started smoking weed. Um, did it get bad at first or was it all good times? Yeah. I was sitting here thinking, um, like, I guess like the next part of like my drinking story really begins, uh, at age 15. I think I was, uh, summer after ninth grade when I've experienced or first time I can remember experiencing a blackout. Yeah. Um, I say that because I may have blacked out before that. I just don't remember. But this sure. one had the most, uh, you know. Impact on ant, you? Ant bites. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, but I remember I was, uh, I was 15. Um, I was living here in Jackson, uh, Mississippi. And uh, anyone who grew up in Jackson, Mississippi knows that the Pearl River is a great place to get in trouble. Any Anywhere in, in or around the Pearl River. Yeah. So naturally, um, I can remember being uh, down there by the Lakeland Bridge called the cages it's like this uh you see it from lakeland drive but um kids go down there and drink all the time and i remember uh you know the a big bottle plastic bottle of vodka <laughs> yeah probably some cheap stuff cheap, in a plastic cheap, bottle. cheap 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 yeah and i can remember uh i think i'd had i'd, I'd got myself my hands on some beers at that point but it wasn't a whole lot yeah like maybe like a six pack of tall boys so i remember like with the vodka i was like okay the vodka you know that's gonna like Make sure I get drunk, and then the beers will kind of just like have Keep me something going. to sip on, yeah. you know, while while I'm you know fucked up. And uh, so I remember like putting bottles in that uh, that vodka handle, and not even like thirty minutes later, I'm blacked out. Like or like it just it happened so quickly. Yeah. It's never happened that quickly since I don't think. Like, but it was just like complete switch, and that was a really that was a brutal day on my body and my spirit yeah uh yeah that yeah. first blackout's rough like because when you you come out of the blackout or you wake up it's just like what did i do where have i been how did i get here did you uh did you wake up with stories of debauchery that you got into from friends or you yeah. just like don't remember or? some of it was uh, a lot of debauchery uh you know i covered my friends uh car with vomit Ooh. He, we were like 15 and 16 and he literally got, got like a 2000 uh like six or seven uh jeep grand cherokee it was beautiful and i just covered it in puke Ooh. and uh i remember uh i rolled down a hill into an ant bed and i was just covered in ant bites like which an ant bite ends up looking like just a giant pimple yeah so i was just covered in them and Ooh. um i was bruised up i was banged up and like Fell into a pool at some point, and, like, people were telling me all about this, like, kind of funny, and it was kind of, like, uh, kind of not that funny. Yeah. But, it like, for my family, it was really not funny because... So they knew about it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They knew all about it because eventually I made it home because they were, like, they didn't know what else to do with me, I guess. My friends, I guess. And, um, but, like, my mom... I remember my mom coming up to me, like, the next morning being, like, you were violent. Like, you mm. were mean. Like, you were a different person. Yeah. And, you know, and I had zero understanding of what alcoholism and addiction looked like at that point. Sure. So, I mean, I just kind of brushed it off, like, after a couple of days of licking my wounds. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So. How did you feel, like, waking <laughs> up at, at mom's that morning? Like, was it just complete remorse? I'm never doing this again. I'm not drinking again. Was there any of that narrative that you told yourself? Or was it just like, well, I'm definitely going to. Oh uh, yeah, uh, I, not drinking again was not was out of the question for sure at that point, and I wouldn't even say like, I mean, I didn't learn I, I didn't learn a lesson yeah. by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, I couldn't have because, and I didn't have the remorse really. I don't think like I did until I ended up going to treatment 
Um, that's when I really started to understand myself. And, like, that's when things took a the darkest turn was after I'd learned what I learned in rehab. Yeah. But at that point, yeah, it was still just chalked up to being young and dumb. Yeah. Like, this is what everybody's doing. Just had a rough night, drank right. a little too much. And that's another thing, too. And uh, so that was the summer. And then that uh, fall, you know, I was in 10th grade, and we started going to Ole Miss football games a lot. Okay. And that's when – and I'd got my heart broken by a young lady. And that is when blacking out became common. But I didn't really – blacking out didn't have the same – I didn't understand it like I understand it now. Mm-hmm. Maybe because I was less dangerous back then than I became. Yeah. Um. Uh. Because I wasn't driving or like, I don't know, just wasn't as dark as I ended up being. But I remember like blacking out and like saying mean things and like at the Grove at Ole Miss and like I remember my my uncle who like never cusses came home and was like, like he just chewed me out and um. You know, and someone had said, had reported back to him that, like, Will's, like, getting getting drunk and, like, you know, he's blacking out and all this stuff. And I was like, that's a lie. That's not happening. And I believe that. Yeah. Like, I was like, what I'm doing is normal. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like, you know, and I was so mad about that back then. But now I'm like, that is what was happening. Yeah. Like, I had no idea that it was happening, but that's exactly what was happening. But that's, like, a uh, 100%, you know, the, the way... It- it works like when we're in the middle of our alcohol alcoholism or addiction like you you don't think about that like i remember being at university of tennessee and just like everybody's partying you know lots of my friends were passing their classes but there were several other ones failing their classes just like i was i'm like ah you know whatever we'll get our shit together later it's not that big of a deal you know i i blacked out like the first night that i got drunk got the spins was throwing up all over my dorm room, like awful experience. But it was just like college, bro. <laughs> like it wasn't even a thought of like, oh man, I'm never gonna do that again. I mean, those thoughts came later into my drinking and using. But at that point, it was like it's just all fun and games. Um, and I mean, at, at that point, it it's arguable that it is just fun and games because I had friends that uh, you know maybe had similar experiences, maybe not as often, but they didn't end up in the rooms and don't really need to be but something's different in guys like you and me absolutely like i know like i mean i got plenty of friends um that you know partied basically the same way i did at least up until a point and then the difference is they graduated school and then got a job and a wife and a kids and they they slowed down and they may drink some still but like not to the level that that i kept going to um you know i uh, a rational person, like after failing out of school four semesters in a row, would be like, hmm, maybe I need to do something different. Not where I was at, like, ah, school's the problem. It's just not for me. But like, bro, I killed it in high school. Great ACT score. Like, I could have done great at school if I just wasn't high and drunk every night. Um, but yeah, like I didn't even didn't even think about it, and I think part of that too is just our our culture and the way that you know drinking is just everywhere in the mass media. It's never never really portrayed as like something that you shouldn't do or that certain people should avoid. You know, all the commercials say drink responsibly, and you're like, ha, yeah, okay, whatever, nerd, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I remember feeling that way too. So you're like, what, 16, 17, sophomore in, yeah. in high school. The blackouts are coming at the Grove regularly. <laughs> um, what what did it look like moving on past that point? Um, well, I want to touch on something you said, too. It was like, up to this point, I, you know, you said something about, like, doing, like you did well in high school with your grades and stuff. And, mm-hmm. like, I just wanted to point out, like, throughout this time, like, I'm getting cheered on by people in my life. Tell me, Will, you've got all this potential. And mm-hmm. I'm like, just, just – Falling short of everything in my life. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm making friends and stuff like that, but I'm just, like, not taking care of myself. So I just wanted to point that out. Yeah, I remember hearing the same thing. Like, hey, you could do whatever you want to do. you got so much potential. And now with some years of sobriety, like, I feel that. I do feel that I can I can do what I want to do if I, you know, work hard and put my mind to it. But, like, I just didn't take them seriously back then at all. Like, 
you know, I mean, as a kid, you just, you don't know what you don't know, but like, I was like, yeah, whatever. Like everybody's got potential, you know? Um, but anyways. Yeah. So I'll, I'll fast forward to my, my junior year of high school. That's when like, that's when my life really started to get unmanageable. Um, especially like on paper and like visible evidence. Uh, so at this point I was drinking, you know, three, four times a week, uh, give or take. And, um, Cause uh, we had some gas, some select gas stations that we could uh, we could we could get what we knew needed. a guy exactly yeah we might we might pay a little extra yeah you know? he's pocketing some cash on the side exactly he must have made a killing <laughs> but uh we um so when I was uh I was sixteen at the time sixteen or seventeen I can't remember but uh my junior year of high school got arrested uh for drinking in a abandoned house lot. You know, me and this guy got taken to juvie for the weekend Ooh. in Hines County, which is like, we got the full prison experience. We got scrubs. We got the little telephone through the glass. We got it all. And so, uh, and this was during football season too. And so I had to go back to school Monday. I was in juvie that morning and went back to, you know, my ritzy private school <laughs> on that Monday. And I thought nobody knew that I was there. Yeah. And so I kind of walked in and looked around and everybody was like, I couldn't they believe all it, knew. right? Which I liked that a little bit, yeah. Because I was kind of an outlaw. I was leaning into the outlaw thing at this point for sure, like a rebellious oh, yeah. teenager, you know. Hundred percent, dude. After the first time I got arrested, like, I mean, when talking to my parents, like, oh, I'm so sorry, remorseful, but like, I wore it as a badge of honor too. Like, <laughs> yeah, bro, I spent eight hours in jail one time. Like, <laughs> like I'm anywhere near some hardened criminal, but right. that's what I wanted to portray. Like, it goes back to what I was saying. Like, I, I always wanted people to have a certain image of me, whether it was that I'm this good kid or whether that I, you know, I'm this badass fucking playboy or whatever I thought I was in my head. Um, but it was never the the actual reality. It's just some delusions that I got going on up here. All right. And so, um, so I got arrested or whatever. And, uh, that weekend, that Friday, we were playing uh, this huge game against uh, this this team from the from the Mississippi Coast. Um, Brett Favre's nephew was the quarterback, and uh, nice. so like it was like a marquee matchup. Like we'd never played the school before, and you know I got suspended from the game, and um, I had to listen to it on the radio. Couldn't even show up, mm. and so like that really hurt. And in no way did I, uh, you know, consider that. I don't think I considered it my fault. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think I'm pretty sure I, I was sad about it, but I was convinced that uh, everyone was just, like, blowing it out of proportion. Still playing the victim role at that point. Exactly. And, like, I don't have a drinking problem. You got to just got a problem with my drinking. Yeah. You know, something like that. Johnny, Johnny Manziel said that. <laughs> <laughs> I heard him say yeah. Someone said it. Yeah, I remember feeling that way, though. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, if y'all would just leave me alone and let me do what I want, there wouldn't be any problem. Like, right. even even as I got into worse shit, like, you know, it, it doesn't matter. Just go over there and do you. Leave me alone. Like, this is, I got it under control. Yeah. Uh, or so I thought. <laughs> right. And so, the junior year was rough, and, like, I'd really, it was the first time I tried psychedelics. Yeah, I think I probably snorted my first pill around this time. Uh, I'd, I'd taken pills before that here and there as they became available, mm -hmm. you know, spraying MCL here and there kind of thing, stuff like that, but nothing crazy. Um, Did you ever have any reservation as you were starting to try new substances? Oh, yeah, sure. Like, well, first I was like, I'm not going to smoke pot, just going to drink. Pot's bad. Yeah. Then it was like. No meth or heroin, I guess, became my only, <laughs> uh, my only, uh, you know, uh, reservation. Yeah, um, I mean, once you smoke pot and you realize what it is compared to like what parents, teachers, the dare program, all that told you it is, you're like, well, everything else probably isn't as bad either. Like, no, it, it kind of is, but <laughs> I remember thinking that way too. Like, um, you know, I'm not going to smoke pot. And then, like, the second night I got drunk, I smoked pot out of a five-foot bong uh, <laughs> and blacked out, was passing out in the booth at this club in Knoxville called RT's. My buddy walked me back up to my dorm room where I proceeded to puke all down the wall because we had the yeah. lofted bed. So, like, it got to, to drip all the way down the wall behind my bed. And then I rolled over off the other side and puked on my rug. And it was like, 
let's do this again tomorrow. Yeah. You can rally, baby. Yeah. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> I remember saying that shit. Yeah, for sure. It was a lifestyle. That's how, you know. And, it, and honestly, I mean, I guess you could argue, like, when you're young, you still have time to, to turn it around. You yeah. Know, we'll get to more of that if I, like, you know, how I didn't turn it around <laughs> for the longest time. But, you know, and then later on, uh, my junior year, junior year was just a shit show. Um, you know, I got drunk on a school night. At a basketball game, um, where we picked up some blue moons, we uh, we I think we asked a guy outside the gas station to buy them for us, if I remember correctly, off Old Canton Road down there, and um, got drunk enough to where, uh, you know, and I remember being at the basketball game, and I'm like, you know, carrying on and like, you know, getting into the game, like it's really school spirited but drunk kind mm-hmm. of thing, and then I ended up. Me and this other guy ended up keying a bunch of cars on the way out of the parking lot Oof. of the opposing team. And, um, you know, I didn't really grasp how big of a deal it was to key someone's car. Yeah. Now, as a, as a, as a man who has had to pay for things on my own, uh, I know that I can't imagine a paint job is very cheap. No. <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, so um, that, uh, that changed my life forever, that event. Um, cause I, I went to military school after that. So did um, you get caught keying the cars? Got super caught. Okay. 100% caught on camera. Oh <laughs> yeah. 21st century, baby. So get caught and then get shipped off to military school. What was that like? That was an incredible experience. Really? Yes. Chamberlain Hunt Academy. Shout out. Uh, that was, I've never laughed as hard as I did at that place. Like I'll put it that way. Like it was really, really tough um experience but I, it was a very rewarding experience yeah. i had some really great guys there well, i bet there's a lot of camaraderie amongst all the people there like when you're all in that tough situation together like i mean it's just like us addicts and alcoholics like we may not all have drank and used together but when we can relate stories back and forth of what it was like for us what it felt like like there's just a, a deeper connection when you kind of been through the shit together right and uh and looking back, like, you know, I bet something like half of the guys there uh, ended up with substance abuse uh, issues. And I don't know. I'd say that's a conservative estimate. Yeah. And that was looking back, the way I, the way I see it now is that was kind of my first treatment. Okay. Uh, that was my first, uh, that was my first corrective action. Sure. For, uh, for my misbehavior, I guess you could say. And, and up until this point, everything that had gotten me into trouble was directly related to alcohol. Mm. See what I'm saying? Yeah. So it was it was kind of like rehab, like rehab with, with uh with, you know, class A uniforms. Was there <laughs> any uh, boozing, getting high while you were there? Or? Oh yeah, there sure was. No alcohol. <laughs> uh, but I forget. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, I remember. Definitely remember. You know, gumming my Adderalls, and yeah. uh, we brought them all back and crushed them up and snooted them and, you know. We were just trying to, we were just being kids with, kids with pills, man. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, looking back, snorting Adderall is a waste of Adderall. I'd always, I, I, I came to the conclusion eventually that just, just take the Adderall. No need to snort, a, especially an XR. Yeah, I mean, in reality, there's not really much reason to snort anything. Anything, right? I remember. I don't know. Like a true addict. Yeah, you know, but I, I sure thought that there was a good damn reason at the time. I remember. I don't know if you did this too, but being in middle school at USJ, and you know, like USJ had the setup in the cafeteria. Like it wasn't like. Uh, public school cafeteria where you're getting some square pizza and shit like you could buy all of the name brand candies and I remember they had pixie sticks and we would snort the pixie sticks yeah. in middle school and like right there should have told me that there's a problem like I don't think normal people snort pixie sticks yeah, or like crush up the s- smarties and like blow them out like you're smoking it like I, I didn't really have great aspirations, even as a 12-year-old, six years before I ever first got drunk. But. Right. And funny you mentioned that. I remember uh, we were doing it. We had a sketchbook in art class, and I drew a homeless man with a brown bottle of fucking alcohol. <laughs> like, that's what, I, that's what I liked to see. That, that was my aesthetic. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's what I enjoyed. And, like, we were, uh, our buddy Caleb, his mom told me, asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, and I said a drug dealer. Because I I just watched Scarface for the first time, 
I was like half joking, but oh, dude, we all wanted still. to be Tony Montana <laughs> right. a little bit until until the end of the movie. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> up until that point, it seemed like he was living a baller life. Yeah, just, just yeah, but yeah, that's funny you mentioned that. We snorted Sprite too. I can remember Ooh. doing that out of the caps. I don't remember doing that one. I bet yeah. that hurt. Yeah. <laughs> so military school got a little high there. Kind of going on past that. You you graduated from military school? Uh no. I uh oh I was such a brat, man. Yeah. Gosh. Sorry, mom and uncle George and my grandparents. Like I was such a brat. Good lord. I gave them hell. Um, I can remember like I basically I went back to prep, uh, to to the high school I'd left, um, that I'd been asked to leave at that point. Um, after much and it's funny, like my grades were so much better at military school. Yeah. Like I was like A and B student. Um so I I should have stayed, but I, I did I wanted to go back and play football, sure. finish football. So Be with your friends, yeah. Yeah, so I mean I never entertained it as staying. But they had every reason to like make me do whatever at that point. Mm-hmm. Like I had I shouldn't have had any leverage. Yeah. I just I, they were probably just tired of hearing me bitch. You know what I mean? Well, that's one thing, like, parents who haven't, you know, been in recovery or had addiction issues, like, they just don't know, you know. They're trying to, to do the best they can with what they've got at the time, and, you know, we can be convincing because we're damn good liars, and yeah. we can tell manipulate. a story and, yeah, manipulate and gaslight and, like, uh, not proud of that behavior anymore, but, like, I, I did the same thing to, to get out of a lot of situations. I'd pull out the tears, and I'm never going to do it again, and just, like, full out. Uh, Could have got a, a Grammy for some of the performances that I put on. <laughs> right. Um, so you graduated from prep. What's it like? I know you, you've been to rehab, what, twice? Uh, I've done, like, three tours. Three tours, okay. Um, so, you know, tell me about, like, did, did it get a lot worse when you graduated school? Um, let's see. So when I graduated high school, um, I'd gotten arrested in Oxford uh, for blacking out behind the chicken on a stick. Oh. You know, with a broken, I had a broken blue moon in my, like, I blacked out. Yeah. Complete, total blackout. And uh, I got arrested. Um so, anyways, my mom, parents were like, you can't go to Ole Miss. Like, you're out of your mind. You're going to kill yourself. So, I went to uh, Raleigh, North Carolina to go to community college for a year. Uh, or for indefinitely, I suppose. Um, and because my sister lived there. And they just okay. wanted me to kind of try something else and get yeah. out of the environment. And what that looked like for me was, like, uh, lots of Little Caesar pizza, 18 packs of PBR, <laughs> And then ate the weed a week. And what I would do is I'd get the eighth of weed, right? I didn't have a lot of money at the time, so I had a process down. I'd smoke the eighth of weed, and then I would have enough uh, shit to scrape out of the bowl to get me high for, like, the last day that it didn't last me. Yeah. Yeah, so I had a whole process, and it was like I ballooned up 325 pounds. It was PBR, pizza, Weed and, and resin bowls. like That's a hell of a diet right there, my guy. Mostly alone. Yeah. Uh, I had a couple of friends that really helped me out, that really were there for me, because I didn't have hardly anybody yeah. besides my sister. But I, then again, uh, some more blackouts, though. I remember going out with my sister and her friends a couple times and blacking out and making an ass of myself and embarrassing mm-hmm. myself. And, you know, at this point, I'd had countless episodes where I'd blacked out and done some stuff that was humiliating. Yeah. You know. And um still just not this uh was not yet aware that I could be an alcoholic. Still still thought an alcoholic was only like under a bridge. Mhm. You know. You had to get to thing. that certain point. So like did you feel down about yourself during this time? Like what was your like I don't know, self conversation like? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It wasn't uh it it would it would get much lower for sure. Um, I can remember I'd had I had some bouts of depression for sure. And a lot of that was related to Adderall. I think uh, I can remember my emotions being very up and down when I was taking Adderall in college, especially. Uh, I can remember like one time pulling up to my house and like just crying mm. out of nowhere, and I just like. Uh, 
And like, I don't know why I felt like that because it wasn't because I felt like I had a drug and alcohol problem. Yeah. And uh, it was just like some sort of like a, you know, being lost probably type of, type of thing. Uh, and I've had some situations like that where like, I mean, because for me, the drugs and alcohol were always just to escape my emotions. I didn't want to feel how Adam feels at baseline. But then there would be periods where like, I remember doing that just like, I don't know why I'm even crying right now, but just like, I, it's like my body forced an emotional release. Like you've been bottling this shit up for five years now. Like we're just, you're going to cry. Yeah. Um, which is, it's kind of weird thinking back on now. Cause I like, I couldn't place where any of those feelings came from and just being like a depressive funk for a while. And then I'd have one good night of partying and pull me back out of it. And yeah. I was off to the races again. Yeah. And that's the thing too, is like, I guess at this point, I was surrounded by friends who, uh, you know, I had a lot of fun with and yeah. that, like, weren't asking me to change what I was doing in mm. regards to drinking and drugging. Yeah. Like. They were on the same ride, even if they weren't going as, as hard. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, because, I mean, at this time, you know, I'm, uh, you know, 21 or less years old. So, like, you know. These type of things don't look as bad on a 19-year-old as they do on a 27-year-old. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, tell me about what that was like. Like, wh- how old were you when you went to the first rehab? Okay, so I ended up going back to Ole Miss. Um, I begged and pleaded. Like, I just want to be with my friends. Like, everyone's having a blast in Oxford, and I'm stuck up here in Raleigh, and I'm mm-hmm. just, like, missing out. And so I ended up going to Ole Miss, and – um so eventually, uh, it was uh, winter time, and I passed out behind someone's house. And it was like, you know, I think it was like nine degrees or something that night. Ooh. And um, I woke up at the neighbor's house and uh, covered in my own piss and didn't know who they were, how I got there, yada, yada, yada. So next day, I get a call from my mom. And she is just crying her eyes out, mm. telling me, like, I know what happened. And I'm like, genuinely, I had no idea what she was talking about because I'd already brushed it off. Yeah. I'd already been like, that was nothing. No, like, oh, crazy night, whatever. Mm-hmm. But, like, she was scared to death that her son was going to kill himself. Yeah. Um, Which, I mean, if they hadn't brought you into their house, like, Drunk, nine degrees, sleeping outside, probably not in proper winter clothes. Like, may not have killed you, but I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what would have happened. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can remember I was wearing a Ralph Lauren over under a Columbia zip up. Definitely no thermals. Yeah, I wouldn't have done too well. But uh, not quite prepared for that weather. <laughs> no, not even close. Um, but yeah, so after that, um, I got uh, family was like, we think you need to go to rehab. I don't think they said we think. I think they said you need to go to rehab. And uh, I was just spitting venom about it. Mm -hmm. Like, because I was getting pulled out of school, I was just devastated. Um, I guess that's an appropriate reaction to your first rehab, maybe. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, especially if you're not ready to go on your own at that point, like... Somebody's trying to make you go. I'm like, I don't. Y'all don't really understand. I don't have a problem. You don't know what it's like. You weren't there. Like they exaggerated. I can just think of all the things that would come out of my mouth, just trying desperately grasping at some like chance that I could get out of it. Exactly. And uh, so they, uh, you know, and they, again, my family's being giving me so much, uh, you know, room to work and like work trying to work with me. Mm-hmm. Like you're going to rehab. You pick what, pick it out, like you pretty much pick it let out. you choose. Let me pick it out. Let me choose. Um, and at this point, I'd had a friend or two that had done like a, a wilderness thing, um, wilderness therapy type of uh, treatment, and um, so I elected to do that. Legacy Outdoor Adventures in uh, Lower Utah. I think they're still out there. Wonderful place. Yeah. Uh huh. They had a good experience there. Had an incredible experience there. Did you leave there thinking that you were gonna stay sober? Not a chance. Okay. Yes. So you were you were decided. <laughs> right. And the whole time there, like I wasn't trying to uh, 
you know, be something that I wasn't in a sense. Or, like, I could have, uh, I got myself in a lot of shit because I would always be, like, I would always be honest about not thinking I was an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Um, I could see where the, where alcohol caused problems in my life. Yeah. I could I could see that. But you I weren't just, willing to admit I'm yeah, an alcoholic. I couldn't, I, don't, I didn't think I was powerless over alcohol or yeah. drugs. Um, and I guess, in a sense, I didn't have any way of knowing because I'd never tried. And so... That'll come later. Yeah. Later on, I would I would try yeah. to uh, fight that powerlessness. But after that, I went to Sober Living, um, Gaston House, Dallas, Texas, another great place. Uh, and uh, I can remember, like, every other night, I'm on the phone with uh, my buddy or my uncle or my mom or somebody and uh, talking about, just don't think, like, I'm not getting it. Like, I don't think I'm an alcoholic. Like, you know, just always talking about, I don't think I'm an alcoholic. Yeah. You just weren't convinced. Not even close. And um, so eventually I ended up drinking. uh, This was because at this point I'd been introduced to the big book of alcoholics. Well, yeah. And they had told something about an allergy. And they talked about, you know, stepping up to the nearest bar room to, uh, to try some controlled drinking. So I was working at a restaurant at the time, and uh, Black Eyed Pea in Dallas, Texas, over there at the Preston Center. And uh, mm-hmm. you know what I'm talking about? And uh, so uh, after work one day, I got hopped on the bus, had about $70, $80 worth of tips in my pocket. No bills to speak of, obviously. I'm a sober living that I'm not paying for. Yeah. Um, so on the last uh, bus stop, there's uh, Twin Peaks. Mm. The, I think Mockingbird Station is what it's called out there um, near Greenville Avenue. And uh, so I hopped off, uh, and I said, I'm going to have one beer at Twin Peaks, and I'm going to walk up there to the house meeting tonight, and they're not going to have a clue that I drank, thus proving I'm not an alcoholic. And uh, I had I had one, and I was like, well, I mean, that went down too easily. Like, we're going we're to do two. Yeah. Like, two is the same thing as one. And then three is the same thing as two, which is the same thing as one. At three, had four. By number five, I was like, "Fuck it!" Like I'm gonna get caught. I might as well get hammered. Yeah. And so I hit every bar on the way home like a pinball machine, <laughs> and uh, you know, showed up at like one in the morning, just hammered, and you know, I, I didn't stick around much longer after that. They let me stay. Yeah. Um, but I ended up just bailing out. Because I wasn't ready to stay sober by any, sh- I, I wasn't ready. And so, off to the races again from that point. Yeah, um, at this point, because uh, I'd moved back to Jackson, and my family was like, "We're not gonna f- give you money anymore." Like, because at this point, you know, I'd had like a job sort of, but like I was getting, you know, supported by my family financially. Mm-hmm. This time, they were like, "We're not giving you a dime for anything." Okay. So all I really had was like some clothes and a car. Um, so I was staying with my mom and my grandmother at the time, and uh, just went to work and uh, started supporting myself. And uh, you know, can't even it's hard for to even remember what it was like those first few months back. Yeah. Um, I can remember. I definitely, at this point, I drank every day, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, was it just booze every day at this point, or had you uh It was booze deeper? and uh, it was pot. And, okay. Uh, I got, yeah, no, and I'd, uh, I think I was still prescribed Adderall at the time, which I would, uh, I hadn't discovered how to, like, party with that necessarily. I know I'd, like, snorted it, like, back in the day, but, like, it wasn't until later that I really started to abuse Adderall. Okay. It's like my my mid to late twenties. I was I was twenty one at this point in time, um. So I guess uh, and eventually I moved out of my family, my mom's house. That's when I could really drink how I wanted to drink because mm-hmm. I like it was just me and a guy and like, you know, twenty something and in between like he's still in college and I'm just working and you know just going out to bars and just drinking all the time oh yeah i remember the the first place where i moved out my buddy actually had owned this house and uh 
he let me move into his guest room after I'd gotten kicked out of my mom's, then my dad's, then my grandparents' house. And uh, he did the same shit I did. We like to fucking drink beer. We like to smoke pot. We like to rail cocaine. Mm-hmm. And uh, neither one of us had a problem with how either of the other one was doing it. Uh, and I don't, I don't really don't even know what he's doing nowadays. He he maybe doesn't have a problem, or maybe does. Who knows? But um, either way, like it was just like man freedom ain't nobody telling me shit i got this bartending job i don't have to go to work till 4 Mm p.m and so like that environment was just so conducive to my alcoholism and addiction just snowballing Mm -hmm. like it went from i'm smoking a lot of pot i'm drinking pretty regularly to like i'm drinking smoking pot sitting at the kitchen table with my buddy just by ourselves snorting cocaine till like four in the morning yeah like not even doing anything cool like, it wasn't like, you know, you see in the movies, like, we're at this wild party with lights and girls dancing and everybody's having a good time. Just, like, me and him geeked out of our mind, just talking at 100 miles per hour about absolutely nothing, but, like, thinking that we've came up with the best idea in the world. And, like, dude! <laughs> yeah. And then rinse and repeat. Um, what did it look like, you know, leading up into that that next time you went into treatment? It, it, uh, at this point... Okay, yeah, and like I, I said earlier, like, now that I had been exposed to what recovery looked like, mm-hmm. that's when the depression and the shame and the guilt really, around specifically my drug and alcohol abuse, Yeah, that's when things got really, really dark for me, and, um, you know, mostly in waves. Um, I can remember uh, I'd been to my first... Uh, 12-step meeting, uh, like, a year before, and then I can remember popping in every now and then after a lo- bad weekend, mm-hmm. and um, I just kept, every, I'd wake up, and I'd be, like, I'd be faced with, I can remember these words rung true in my ears on those bad mornings from this guy named Robert at uh, the Gaston House in Dallas, that sober living I was at. Um, he told me, like, if you keep living like this, I told him I didn't want to be anything like my father uh, mm-hmm. that I didn't know, didn't have a relationship with. He was like, if you keep acting like, keep doing all this, you're going to end up just like that. Mm. And so that the idea that I couldn't have the life I wanted and drink at the same time yeah. kept, uh, that was just a constant battle within me. You were going to have to make a decision and you kind of knew it. Right. And I was, and I just, I couldn't, I didn't want to give it up. It's mm-hmm. all, it's all I've, all I'd known at this point for a very long time. And, um, you know, what that looked like was, um, you know, I wasn't like guzzling vodka in the mornings or anything like that. Um, what it looked like for me was just, uh, I'm a big binge drinker, more blackouts here and there, you know, waking up with my foot on the brake of the car and the car, you know, like waking up in parking lots or like Damn. just random stuff like little little happen happenings just all over town um some of them public some of them not so public and all equally humiliating humiliation is like the common denominator in like and what uh really drove me to get sober it was i was humiliated yeah uh with how i acted and around this time uh i started i got into a relationship with uh with a girl and that was the first time I'd really been in a relationship. Um, and I was probably, you know, I think I was probably 24, maybe 25 at the time. And, um, could really see how my drinking and drugging was affecting that relationship. It just like amplified everything. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's one thing like when it's kind of like just me who's like, but like, enter someone else into the mix and like it's just a lot louder yeah it's it's pretty hard to maintain any semblance of a stable relationship when you're when you're drinking and using yeah. like i'm sure some people can in, in moderation and it's fine but like the way that i was doing it where i just wrecked women's lives like i would sell this nice pretty picture because I, I could hold it together long enough to get you to like me or get you to you know want to date me and then like inevitably we'd move in together and then like there was no escape. I couldn't go back to my house and do what I wanted to do with the boys. Like, I was going to do what I wanted to do regardless, and that meant that you were going to see the absolute worst of me. And, like, I remember so many mornings 
waking up from a blackout and like whoever I was with being pissed, like ready to slit my throat. And I'm like, oh, that was a great night's sleep. How are you doing, babe? And they're like, you don't remember anything you did last night? No, not really. I thought it was a pretty chill night. I'm like, well, let me tell you. Uh-huh. And then some wild shit about how I was a dick or how I was like aggressive or mean or yelled at him yeah. or like ran my car into the back of the carport. Like mm-hmm. just some stupid shit, you know? Right. So stuff like that like adds up and like it was crazy though because I'd be licking my wounds for like a day or two, but then I'd just get right back to it. And honestly, I and I'd catch those endorphins back i think or whatever and like and feel a little bit better and also kind of self-medicate with the drugs and alcohol it's crazy how quickly that turnaround would be for me because like in those mornings like that like i would go straight into damage control i'm sorry i didn't mean to i'm not gonna do it again i'm not gonna mix those substances anymore and then like 48 hours later like it's like I could not for the life of me remember how I felt two mornings ago. If I could have held on to that feeling, I probably wouldn't have needed all the help that I needed to get sober because it was like I would it would come, I would feel it, it was gone. Why am I not drinking tonight? I, I, I don't know. Let's go to the bar. Like, no. and it, Just like it wasn't even a second thought. There wasn't this long, hard decision of like, ah, should I, shouldn't I? It's just like the opportunity presented itself. I'm like, Hell yeah, brother. Let's go. That's all right. Yeah, and at this point, uh, I, I feel like I haven't mentioned, but, like, and so when I lived in Oxford when I was in school, it was kind of hard to get cocaine up there. But once I, I'd been introduced to cocaine and loved it. Yeah. That's what I really, you know, that was a perfect night consisted of cocaine as far as I was concerned. So when I moved back to Jackson – Cocaine entered the chat in a big way. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, because it was a lot easier to get. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that dimension was added to it, which, A, cost me a lot of money, and B, amplified the depression, the shame, and the guilt Yeah. of the, those mornings. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. That that Coke, alcohol, hangover, that's a, that's a hell of a combo. Yeah. Um, so, you went to another rehab, and then... There was the the third and final rehab where you actually found sobriety. Um, let's kind of move into that, like what it looked like if there was like one big final rock bottom before you went to that rehab and then what that looked like getting sober and, and you know, kind of what your life's looking like now. Yeah. So <clears throat> at this point I was uh I was on drug court and I got uh you know, I'd failed a bunch of drug tests for alcohol. And so I went to Desert Hope in Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, American Addiction Centers fixed me up. Michelle. Um, shout out. Shout out, <laughs> Michelle. Um, went there for like two weeks. You know, they didn't really, you know, they weren't super, like, it just kind of felt like I was at a hospital. Yeah. Then I went to some classes, and they fed me well. Felt pretty casual. Played some volleyball. Smoked two packs a day. But, you know, I basically was just drying out. And what uh what they told me was to uh you know get back when you get off the plane when you go home you know go to a you know twelve step meeting and like the same day that you get home mm-hmm. and um and I did that uh but and I remember being so scared because it was like I was only there for two weeks I was like I remember my uncle asking me if I needed to stay longer and I was like you know George I. I just think I'm going to drink again. I don't want you to waste your money. Yeah. I'm just going to come home. And, you know, I was scared I was going to get drunk in the airport. Um, the only thing I, the only reason I did get drunk was like, well, George bought me a plane. T- my uncle bought me a plane ticket. You know, I can't drink now. That'd be, that'd look really bad. Yeah. That would look, that would look really bad if I did that. Uh, so next thing I know, I, I mean, I come back home to basically, the exact same life that I'd just left, uh, physically, like mm-hmm. same job, same girlfriend, house, our dogs, you know. So the only thing that was different was that I was started doing recovery stuff and meeting recovery people. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it started to feel good to wake up those mornings without the guilt and the shame. Yeah. Be damned. <laughs> 
Yeah, dude, that's like, it seems so obvious, but to like people who are living the way that we're living, like, you don't even realize, like, at least I didn't, like, I can't remember, I don't know how many years had gone by where I had woken up hungover off of some substance. Like, I hadn't had a morning where I just woke up, like, clear-headed, ready to tackle the day in, like, I don't know, at least the last three or four years before I got sober. And so I, I remember that feeling of, like, getting through detox and, and rehab and then just, like, waking up and being like, oh, I feel well-rested. <laughs> I'm going to go shower, shit, shave, get a cup of coffee, like – is this how normal people feel every day? Like, holy shit. Yeah. Um, anyways. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's exactly right. And I remember uh, just waking up and like, you know, in the morning time slowly became, or quickly perhaps became my favorite part of the day. You yeah. You know, wake up and I just, for once in so long, I felt like I was doing the right thing. Yeah. And I felt hope about my future. Mm. And, but on the flip side, I felt hope for the future by living one day at a time, like some people kept telling me to do. And that for the first time, I didn't care about not drinking at my wedding in the future. Yeah. Or like never being able to have a, have a beer at the beach again. Like I didn't care about that. And I think at that point, I knew. I can go back to that, like, because I've done it before. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm going to pay the price, but that's available to me. I had somebody tell me that when I, I first got sober. Um, that, you know, like, give this thing a shot for a year. If you don't like it, if your life doesn't get better, that dope ain't going anywhere. The booze ain't going anywhere. The pot's still going to be around. Like, all of that shit you were doing and all of those or most of those people that you were doing it with – are still going to be right there waiting for you. So why don't we just try something that we haven't been trying? And, like, that made a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Um, and the same thing with the the one day at a time. You know, I had I had reservations about, like, just the, exactly the things you said. Like, man, can I, would I have a dry wedding? kind of sounds fucking lame. <laughs> uh, but, like, now I'm like, who cares? Like, I don't, I don't need booze to get out on the dance floor. I don't need it to have a good time. Um it, it it no longer is anything that would, would add anything to the experience for me. But I, I think what you said is so crucial for people early in recovery, just getting into recovery. Like, you don't have to think about it as I'm never going to drink for the rest of my life. Like, I'm just not going to drink today. Maybe I will tomorrow. Yeah. And I wake up tomorrow and, you know what, I'm just not going to drink today. Uh, and all of a sudden you do that and you, you got a whole lot of 24 hours put together. And you've been sober, what, over three years now? Yeah, I picked up three years in October. Yeah, that's what I thought. And then, like, it, it all just started because I'm not going to drink today. And no. and then those days roll into each other, and you, you get some momentum going. Um, you know what I mean? So what's it what's it been like, you know, after getting a little, little time under your belt, getting into sobriety? Like, what's life like for you now? Man, it's just, like, it's so peaceful. Yeah. Like, I just have less bullshit and stuff like that. Like, I just, I mean, I work, uh, I show up to work, you know. Most of the time, I'm at least 10 minutes early. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I wake up two hours before work just so I can have some alone time with myself and with God and whatever. Um, and I find every hobby that I... So I had, you know, I love going to see live music, love playing golf, uh, and I was focused on those two. Those two things I used to uh, drink a lot with that I thought I would never enjoy again. Yeah. I've now found that I love doing both of those things, and I don't need alcohol to do it. And Dude. that was a hard sell to me back in the day. Heck yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you, we didn't go on the golf course without some booze and at least some weed. And I remember my uh, my buddy Victor, uh, who who's definitely not one of us, but you know we partied together some back in the day, and been one of my my most supportive friends since I got sober. Um, you know, out of the people that I, I still talk to from from my old life, so to speak. But I remember going golfing with him 
And, you know, out of respect for me, he didn't have a drink or anything on the course either. And we both shot, like, the best game that we had ever shot. And I was like, holy shit. <laughs> it turns out the booze does not help my game. Because that's what I'd be like, you know, I just got to take the edge off, relax a little bit. Exactly. I'll swing smoother. Uh, and like, Dude, I used to play so bad. I, I think the last round of golf I played before I got sober, it may not have been the last, but it's the one that sticks out in my mind. Like, my buddy had woken me up from a hangover. He had some weed brownies. I ate two of them, took two Percocets, and then started drinking on the course. And I don't know if I hit the fairway a single time. Like, it was tree line to tree line to sand trap to water hazard to, fuck this, I don't even like golf. It's a stupid-ass game. Y'all finish out the hole. Like, yeah. And then I'd be like, oh, yeah, man, I love golf. Like, what? I didn't love any of that. I was miserable the whole time. But now... I do love golf. Like, I mean, it's been a while, but we went and played, you know, a handful of months ago and, like, had a great time. Yeah. Stone cold sober. Smoked a nice stogie out there. Right. But, like. Treated it like a sport. Yeah. Like. Because <laughs> it's a sport. <laughs> like, I want to get better at this thing. Exactly. You know? And that's how I've approached a lot of things in my life. Like, uh, I never had before. And I, you're talking about the physical, like, or. I like physically, like, I don't feel as tethered like alcohol especially did for me. Like, went to a concert in the dead heat of summer. Went to an Ole Miss game in the dead heat of summer, and, like, I was just, like, running around the stadium as I needed to. If I needed a drink, I climbed up the stairs, and I went exactly where I needed to go, and I didn't want to puke at all. Like, yeah. you know, like I felt uh, – I didn't feel, like, bogged down or, like, that sick feeling that I used to always feel. It's amazing how much better drinking water in the heat feels than drinking booze. Who knew? Yeah. <laughs> What? I, who would have thunk it? Right. Um, uh, you were talking about the the live music too. You know that's that's been an experience that I've had as well in sobriety. Like I used to go to a lot of shows and do a lot of trippy shit at yeah. a lot of shows, uh, along with other substances. And I remember thinking when I first got sober, like, man, I got to leave that part of my life behind. Uh, and that's not at all been the case for me. You know, I've been able to experience going to three or four different music festivals now. Uh, a whole bunch of shows and like at the music festivals, especially like rampant drug and alcohol use right in my face. Like I've had people mm -hmm. try to pass me a joint, try to give me a hit of some powder out of their little powder necklace that yeah. they've got. Um, and like, it's not even a thought anymore of like, ah, should I, maybe it's just like, nah, bro, that ain't for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, appreciate it. You yeah. know? And then like, I can still have a conversation with the dude who tried to pass me the blunt. You know, I'm not going to hang out with those people in a, a regular scenario. And and I do think it's important to mention, you know, when I put myself in those scenarios, I do it with sober people, uh, yeah. with other people who are doing the same thing that I'm doing. And it's not because if they're not there that I'm just going to instantly grab a drink. But, like, if I did ever find myself in an uncomfortable situation, th there's something about having your people with you that, that makes the whole thing a little bit lighter. Um, sure. But, you know, what, what's that experience been like for you, yeah. Being in the jam band scene and, and now kind of getting back into going to shows. Yeah. So, you know, huge widespread panic fan and um, saw them uh, for the first time sober um, earlier this year in May. Uh, or excuse me, last year. That was 2023. Um, and it's incredible. They have a, a like uh, like the Grateful Dead had the Wharf Rats. Uh, widespread panic has the gateway. It's a group of people who meet up at the shows, and they, uh, if you look for the yellow balloons, and you follow the yellow balloons, there's a bunch of people sober on purpose at a at a concert. Hell yeah. And then I was at Dealing Hall here in Jackson uh, a few months ago, a drive-by trucker show, and I'll be damned if there wasn't yellow balloons set up. And I wouldn't even expect, I, I wasn't even expecting that. Yeah. And then boom, like, uh, I found my people. And like, not even... I didn't, they're there for people who are, you know, they're especially there for the newcomer in a sense, like mm -hmm. to, uh, you know, people that were having trouble staying sober at the shows. Um, but also like, I've just like, I've met so many great people through that network. It's like a subculture within a subculture. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's such a cool thing that the, the jam bands all kind of have that, that scene of, you know, like, like you said, follow the yellow balloons. Right. Um, and, and you'll find your people. Um, so I, I guess we're, we're kind of getting ready to uh, to go ahead and, and wrap this thing up. We've been going a little over an hour here. Um, but, you know, I, I did want to ask you, you know, if, if you had 
one piece of advice or wisdom to give to somebody who's wanting to get sober, just trying to get sober, uh, what, what would you tell them? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, you know, hmm. go to rehab and dry out. And if you still, gosh, afraid to say, I don't know. I had, I had, I had to try control drinking. Yeah. Straight up. Like, be careful out there. But it it wasn't until I had enough evidence to play my tape forward when I wanted that drinking drug, like I can today. Today, it's a hard sell to myself that I can control my drug and alcohol use. Yeah. And there's only, I only knew one way to get there. And I didn't even know it, that it, that's how I was getting there. But, um, and my advice is also that, you know, it doesn't matter how hopeless you are. Like, if it works for me, it can work for you. Absolutely. And uh, if I can get sober, you can get sober. Um, and I've met some, seen some incredible stories along the way, too, of people that would say the same thing. And it's not that bad. Yeah. It's not that bad. It really, it, it, as a matter of fact, it's not only it's not that bad, like, it's really damn great. Yeah. You know, I, I couldn't have ever imagined wanting to live the le- rest of my life sober. Like, I remember thinking... I remember when I was a bartender, like looking out at the restaurant and all these families eating dinner. And I'm like, dude, everybody's on something. Like I truly thought that like, there's no way all these people were happy without any drugs or alcohol. And it turns out there's a whole world full of people who don't drink, who don't use, who live happy, joyous, and free 365 days a year. That's not to mean that that you're not going to have bad experiences, bad days, family members won't uh, pass away, you'll get in a car crash, all that. But like the the strength that comes from being able to to be present in those situations, uh, to be there for your family members when somebody passes away, uh, you know, to be able to not be afraid when the cops come after you get in a car crash because of what they're going to find in your car, like. And I know we've talked about it before, and you'd agree, but, like, I've never experienced freedom like I have in sobriety. And that's what I was always searching for, like, when we talked about getting my own place for the first time and, like, wanting to be able to do whatever. I just wanted this freedom, but I never had it. Like, drugs and alcohol had me in a chokehold, um, and and that's just not the case anymore. And, you know, like you said, if it if it works for a low-down, pill-popping, heroin junkie like me, like— It'll work for anybody, man. You know, there, there's a reason that uh, that 12 Steps have been getting people sober for close to 100 years now. Like, And that's not to say that that's the only way. You know, there, there's all types of different recovery programs out there. And, and any way that you can get to sobriety is an absolutely beautiful thing. Um, but, uh, you know, guys, we've got uh, one last thing before we go is... I've got one of our whiskey and milk shirts on here today. Uh, we've got a whole bunch of other ones available on the website. You can check us out at whiskeyandmilk.com. Um, make sure you follow along on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all at Whiskey and Milk. You can find us on YouTube at Recovery Uncovered. And with that, we will see you guys next time. Attention, now arriving at your destination, the last house on the block. <laughs>